Hello and welcome to Water Q&A, Global Water Forum's monthly dive into the challenges of water governance in the 21st century. I am Jesper Svensson. In this episode, I sat down with Professor Jasha Feng in Beijing to trace the evolution of Beijing's freshwater system over the last 70 years and the factors that influence these dynamics over time. The goal here is really to try to understand uh, the nature of the water, of the so-called water crisis in Beijing, and what has been the, the, the drivers of the transitions the last 70 years, and um, what can other countries and cities learn from Beijing as we move into the future. But uh, before we dive into the questions, I would like to ask you, uh, Professor Jai, if you can tell us a, us a little bit about your background Okay, I was born in a very remote mountain village in the west of Hunan province. And when I was a child, my mother is a water watcher for the production team. I helped her to uh, watch the water for irrigation, take care of the fields for paddy production. I did a very good job. <laughs> and um, when I graduated from the high school, I took part in the uh, university entrance examination. I got a very high school. So my teacher uh, recommended me to apply for Qingfa University. Finally, I'm unlucky. I got it. <laughs> so I go to Qingfa University to study water resource engineering. And this was in 1982 when you were 18 years old, right? Yes. And b- back then in Beijing, there were no... Everyone was bicycling, right? You are right. No private car. Uh, and the road is a heavy traffic of bicycles. Not at this moment, it's a heavy traffic of cars. <laughs> okay, so what about water? So... How has the natural hydrological cycle evolved over the last 70 years in Beijing? Mm, yes, very big uh, changes has happened. And some people say uh, Beijing has a low, big river, as uh, Yangtze River, Yellow River, it's true. But uh, Beijing still has two relatively big rivers. One is the Yongding River in the southwest of Beijing. Another is the Chaobei River in the northeast of Beijing. And uh, Beijing located in the flood plain of those two rivers. So have a very good uh, water condition, many springs. And uh, so... Uh, it's uh, based on this condition. In 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, the ancient Beijing was constructed here. And uh, 800 years ago, the capital was constructed here. So uh, Beijing has a relatively good water resource condition. But uh, now something changed. Uh, for the two rivers, Yongding River and uh, Chaobei River, almost a low water flow down. And the one reason, the main reason is the upper reaches used a lot of water. 
And uh, the second reason is uh, uh, with the environment change. It's mainly because of the water and the soil conservation engineering. Uh, so um, the upper reach, the slope are terraced. Uh, and uh, the vegetation becomes much better. It, it means uh, more water are maintained in the upper reach, the slopes. So the runoff for the, the rivers decreased about uh, one-fourth. Wow. Uh, how about the nature of human demands for water? How has that evolved since 1949 until now? For what resource development in Beijing, uh, we say more positive is the water conservancy engineering. Uh, in 1950s and the 60s, I think the main task for Beijing also for China is the flood control. So we construct a Guanting Reservoir and the Mizen Reservoir. Guanting Reservoir is along the Yongdeng River. Mizen Reservoir is in the Chaobei River. It's very big two uh, reservoirs. It's for um, flood control and also for water supply. At that time, it's mainly for um, irrigation for Beijing, for Tianjin, for Hebei province. And then in 1970s, 1980s, I think the water supply becomes a main challenge. And it's because we have the short period in 1970s and in the 80s. And so like the two reservoirs stop to supply water for irrigation. It's only for urban use. And in 1980s, being reservoirs stop to supply water for Tianjin, only for Beijing. Uh, so water shortage become a um, very big challenge. Uh, at that time, uh, Tianjin constructed in Luanzujing water diversion from Luanghe, especially for Tianjin. And uh, we also uh, diverted some water from Yellow River to Tianjin. So it's a big challenge. And then in 1990s um, and the, the 2000s, I think the water pollution become a main challenge. It's because of the rapid economy development and the pollution also developed very rapidly. So we pay attention to uh, pollution control at that time. We constructed the uh, wastewater treatment plants is money in 1990s and is early times of 20s, even for Beijing. In 1990s, the wastewater treaty percentage is very low. It's only after 2008, after the Olympic game of Beijing, the wastewater treatment percentage become more than 90%. And then, uh, for the how the for two thousand tens, this period a new a new period come is we call it the ecological civilization construction period. We pay more attention for the more integrated management of water problems, especially uh, pay more attention for ecological uh, water requirement uh, for the rivers, for the lakes. Also, like a sponge city, make the city become more natural, more ecological um, for water resources sustainable development. But uh, 
how how about so before it was the agriculture the agriculture sector was the main water user but now it is the environment can you tell us a little bit about that transition yes uh, in 1950s 1960s water use is mainly for agriculture more than 70% Uh, at uh, this moment, uh, it's about uh, only one six um, is for agriculture. So uh, agriculture, the total water use changed, also the structure changed. And uh, before 1990s, we almost have low so-called environment water use. But now for Beijing, environment water use take up about uh, one third. More than one billion cubic meters is for environment water use. It it seems very high because I, I looked at the statistics and for 2016 it was 28.6 percent and 2017 it was 31.9 and 2018 it was 34 percent. But uh, when who took that decision to? allocate more water for the environment was it the city government or was it the state council and how does that look in other parts of China I think it's money for Beijing it's money because of the Beijing municipal government makes the decision but I also have some influence from the central government because the whole China are moving from the uh, all the development method of so-called any economic development by sacrifice of environment. But now, we have the ecological construction policy. So every province, including Beijing, pay more attention for environment. So Beijing, um, they must uh, um, save water because the water shortage is so serious so um, they should cut uh, agriculture water use also industrial water use at the same time uh, they use the saved water for environment so uh, I think it's a Beijing municipal government make a very good um, decision and also it's a big uh, achievement but also some um, how to say how to understand it is also a problem I mean the, before for water use we don't calculate uh, the so-called environmental use the so-called environmental use is for rivers and lakes um, before it's the retained water after your water use the retained water Uh, flow back to the rivers and the lakes is just a retained water, not calculated as a water use. But for Beijing, the so-called environmental use is this kind of retained water. We, we touched a little bit about the, the, the transitions. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, the transitions in terms of science, technology, and institutional factors? Okay. At the beginning... Um, Beijing, we mainly use the hard method, especially at the engineering. We construct the dams, levers, uh, uh, also canals to solve the flood problem or the supply problem. Uh, but uh, lately, we move on to the direction of soft methods. Uh, especially, we say it's uh, uh, water demand management. We have very effective 
what a user planning. Uh, every year at the beginning, we made the what user planning. Um, which sector? Uh, every factor. How much what you can use? And and how about uh, what? Which leaders played? Uh, um, what political leaders and policy entrepreneurs drove this change? Would you say? Do you have any any particular leader that, that has been really either at the city level or national level? Uh, in China, the public policy uh, mostly or always is decided by the political leaders. Because uh, in China, uh, government is in the position of private or other sectors, uh, entrepreneurs uh, should uh, follow the government policy. It's always like this. So for all the policy change, it's mainly because of the government. Uh, but also they have some driving force uh, behind this. Uh, the main driving force is uh, economic development. Uh, and then with the economic development, uh, we have more resource for uh, um, environment treatment. Also, along with the uh, economic development, pollution becomes a big problem. So for both sides, uh, in the one hand, pollution comes. In the other hand, along with the economic development, we have the financial resource to treat the pollution. So uh, after in some phase uh, of economic de- development, uh, the government has a resource. I also have the will to treat pollution. Uh, so uh, some uh, deep uh, driving force is economic. Would you agree with me that the last 70 years that there has space in China there has been three major transitions. The, the first one was under Mao Zedong to stand up, and the second one was under Deng Xiaoping to become rich, and now under Xi Jinping it is to uh, become strong, a, a strong China. You are right. I agree, totally agree. It's a Chairman Mao. They are, we said they faced a lead group. They need China stand up. Become really independent. They can protect themselves from the invasion from other countries, <laughs> and also can develop by themselves. And the second group, second generation of leaders, like Deng Xiaoping, they have the open policy open and reform is also very important. Because of this policy, uh, China become uh, really developed repeatedly. And now we have the third generation of leaders, uh, President Xi Jinping. He is very excellent. He has the top design of the uh, policies, uh, like the Ecological civilization construction is an integrated way to treat the problems, uh, the future um, development. It's very good. So, as far as I'm concerned, under I think Deng Xiaoping he said science and technology are the main production factors. 
that has influenced the water management. That influenced the water management in China, right? Yes. Um, technology, science and technology is really very important for water sector. Also, some um, uh, new technology can give the new solution for water problems. And now under Xi Jinping, as what I, what, when I've read documents, uh, he, he talks about, or China talks about, uh, the combination of state and market. That they are not, they should not be on opposite sides. They should actually be, in, they should actually be combined. Is this accurate? Um, I think you are right. It's a combined. Um, I think uh, President Xi still wanted to promote the market information, market oriented information. But it's also a balance between government and the market. Uh, China still, uh, how say, uh, and one of the private uh, society, the government still play a central role in the social planning, the development planning. So it's a balanced, combined um, governance structure. Yes. Mm. We, we, uh, we will touch a, uh, a bit more about it later when we talk about water reallocation. Uh, but what would you say are the most important misconceptions about the water reforms in Beijing and North China Plain that, that we in the West, or actually also people in China, don't get right? Um, we have some uh, lessons or misunderstanding, um, but a lot uh, I can say can be named by other countries, but uh, it's all lessons. One is uh, they use the concept for ecology, like the rivers and the lakes, they make it ecological. But in fact, it's an artificial uh, interruption for nature water cycle, uh, like uh, the lining the uh, riverbed, lining the bottom of lakes. Uh, I think it's money for uh, artificial uh, use uh, for maintaining the water surface for uh, recreation, for tourism. Not for ecological um, conservation, but I use the term for ecological protection. So one is this. Another one, I think, is uh, what is water shortage? Uh, as you said, there are big crisis of water resources in Beijing. But uh, by what standard you make this judgment? Uh, so water uh, shortage always is uh, misleading. Uh, my opinion is you must consider water shortage by economical terms. Uh, and you consider the water price under the uh, setting uh, water price, what's the water supply, what's the water use, what's the demand. Uh, under this condition, you can say, oh, Water demand uh, under this price is uh, 
more than the water supply and this water price. You say there is water shortage. If you don't consider water price, it's very difficult to say something. Some people say we have very big area of irrigation. You need much water, but when some water you divert here because of water price, you cannot pay. So it's no use. So pay attention to what's the meaning of water shortage. So another, I think, is a very big problem for every water engineer. When you make the planning, you should consider this. But how about the whole of northern northern China plain? Do you think um, what what would you say is a good water scarcity index? How how would you define and construct a, a good water? What what's the indicators? Would you say? Um, the first uh, uh, point is uh, uh, consider water price because in China, water price is going up. We have the market oriented. Reformation. I also uh, law our parties said emphasis the water price should uh, uh, reach the level of uh, cost recovery, full cost recovery. What does this mean? If the water price really going up to this level, it means the water demand will have a big decrease. So you make sure. Uh, What will be the price in the future? And consider uh, what demand under this condition. If we don't con- consider what price, not uh, not meaningful. How about ground? I know that groundwater is a, is still a, a, a major water use for Beijing. Or uh, for Beijing, was uh, several years ago, groundwater is a main water source of Beijing. But now. I think uh, it decreased a lot because we have the water from the south, from Yangtze River. We have the uh, South Toulouse Water Diversion Project. It's finished in year 1914 for Beijing, the middle route. So now Beijing used about 1 billion cubic meters per year from the Yangtze River. So it's a substitute uh, a lot for groundwater. So now, the groundwater table of Beijing become to raise, become to recover. So, so one fourth, one fourth of Beijing's water supply comes comes from the South Road Water uh, Project. More than one fourth. Okay. Now the total water use is about three point eight billion cubic meters, and the water from the South is more than one billion. More than one billion per cubic meters per year, so it's more than one fourth. But do you think that that is also a misconception about the groundwater over exploitation? That that is a real, real water crisis here in northern China Plain. Do you see that that as a potential threat to China's economy in, in as we move into the future? In last thirty years, it's really a big problem. It's a crisis. For uh, groundwater over exploitation, the groundwater table going down, going down is not sustainable. Um, but now, uh, I made a study about this. It's from year 2013 for uh, the uh, North China Plan. 
especially for the high hope plan, the ground water table becomes stable. And in some region like Beijing and Tianjin in recent years, it's become raised up. So it's a good phenomenon. Uh, the main reason why is the water from the south, the south to lose water diversion project supply the water, substitute the groundwater. And uh, another reason is the water use in North China going down. So uh, less water use, so we can uh, recover the groundwater. How much? How much will the? So you so you are saying that the water use for Beijing is peaking. In, already in peak in nineteen ninety four. Now is. If we only consider the domestic water use, agricultural water use, and uh, industrial water use, is still going down and going down. But uh, after year 2004, the total water use is uh, uh, returned back. Uh, the law is about 3.4 billion. But the law is a little going back, uh, going up. Uh, it's mainly because of the so-called uh, water use. They included the environmental use in the total water use. But uh, there's some misunderstanding. Uh, the environmental use, I think, is the retained flow. That should be considered at uh, water use. In the North China Plain, like in cities like Tianjin, Beijing, uh, Baoding, Shijiazhuang, and so on, do you think that the, the uh, industries need to be reconstructed and moved out or something? Because of water shortages, we have already done this. Uh, like uh, in Beijing, uh, before we have the capital steel company, and it, it's moved to Qinhuangdao, uh, and because the steel uh, industry mainly use water for cooling. Mm, in Beijing, it's a one place. In the coastal area, they can use the sea water for cooling. So we can make some reallocation, reallocation like this. Beijing rely on <coughs> distant water transfer to meet their needs. Um, what type, both from the south to north water diversion project, but also from local water transfers from Hebei and also from Shanxi province? Uh, what type of agreement governs the water allocation from Shanxi and Hebei provinces to Beijing, would you say? Uh, in China, between provinces, we don't say have some agreement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, always uh, coordinated by the central government. Uh, we have some water allocation schemes. It means... Uh, uh, every uh, province can use uh, how much water have a uh, um, allocation scheme. And uh, we also have some compensation. Uh, it means uh, like Sanxi and uh, Hebei province, they are in the upstream. Beijing uh, prefers them to use less water. And uh, Beijing can compensate some. Um, Perhaps not the directly compensation to farmers, but uh, have some project uh, to compensate. Like uh, if farmers uh, they don't uh, plant rice, 
Beijing will subsidize them about four hundred yuan per mole, um, like this. And also, Beijing can support the development of the Hebei province, Shanxi province, like this. But recently, uh, like the Shanxi province, they developed good from Yellow River. Yes. For this project purpose, they will have a um, how to say agreement. Beijing will pay for the water from the in the pay for water resource fee or water price for Shanxi Province. When I when I spoke to officials in Shanxi Province, they told me that they they actually don't they don't, they don't need some of the water from the Yellow River uh, basin. So they they pump the water over the mountains from Datong and then into Hebei Province and into Beijing. But this water is is used for environmental purposes, if I'm correct, right? And this uh, how's that for especially Yongding River rehabilitation? Yes. Uh, and you're right. Shanxi Province has a project to divert water from Yellow River. The didn't uh, use the water by the capacity. So they have more water. Um, they can sell it to Beijing. Yes. But do you think, we, we discussed before about uh, the relationship between the state and the market to reallocate water. Mm. Do you think this, there is an imbalance between the role of the government and the role of the market? As we move into the future, for water, water, many people say that it's a mixed commodity. It's not a pure commodity. Have some public meaning. I also in some degree it's seen as a human right. Uh, so, for water, um, we must use both the government and the marketing mechanism. And in China, uh, we have the three red lines. It means uh, the water use total quantity, water use efficiency, and water uh, waste water discharge should be controlled. Uh, it's a strict. Uh, we said it's the most strictest policy for water resource management. Yes. And so, it's 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 also probably one of the the world's most ambitious water strategy. I guess I have to point it out. But hang on. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, the government still uh, is the, in the central position for water resource management. But uh, also, Xi uh, Jinping said we must use marketing mechanism. As the basic mechanism for water resource allocation. So now we want to distribute the water users right to make the level users to farmers, to irrigation districts, even to some factories. And also we want to use the Water trade as a new mechanism for water resource allocation. Perhaps it's more uh, flexible compared with the government allocation. So we want to, to uh, use both of them, but it's still a big challenge. And um, um, 
scientific topic for deeper research. I think we have not solved this problem completely. Many things still wait for us to study. Yes. And it's also, I mean, it's also a problem in other countries as well, as we have seen now in, in Australia with the Murray-Darling crisis, that there's no easy fix, so to speak. Mm. Um, what about, how much more do you think the... Um, okay, let's, let's, let's dive into the South and North Water Diversion Project. Can you tell us what is the goal of the South? Who is using the water from the South and North Water Diversion Project? And do you think, I mean, Mao Zedong, he talked about this in 1950s, that we should move some water from the South to the North. And then it was decided in 2002, I think, by the State Council. Do you think that the, the Chinese government has overestimated the, the water supply and the water demand Uh, in 1950s, Chairman Mao said uh, there are too rich water in the south and too less water in the uh, north. So we can bother some water from the south to the north. At that time, we don't have the water shortage problem. But uh, it's, uh, I think uh, Chairman Mao is a strategic thought. Uh, he think uh, the how to say, Uh, North China is uh, uh, more arid climate, South China more humid climate. So, uh, under North China, we have a big area of land. Uh, so, if we have water, we can develop the land, is a loss, it's like this. Uh, he's a politician, also a strategist. So uh, I think he didn't uh, consider the real concept, uh, cost or benefit of water use. Uh, and then in 1990s, we make a money planning study about this. In 2002, this fellow uh, decided by the central government to construct the South to Los Water Project. I think uh, the main goal is to solve the problem of water shortage in North China. Um, but as, as we discussed in the beginning, what's the water shortage? What's the meaning? Um, before the decision, uh, my opinion is against this. Uh, it's because uh, we think uh, water resource diversion project is a behavior of economic development. We should use the um, concept of economics. We should follow the law of economics. So uh, really, how much the cost for the water diversion from the south, and uh, what's the real benefit? Can it be balanced? If it's not balanced, you cannot say we have a water shortage. We cannot do it. But now, the project already finished, so we cannot say it's not should be um, constructed. We should uh, uh, think of how to use it more efficiently. Uh, it's already here. It's uh, also a precious uh, uh, assets. We must uh, use it for people. And uh, Beijing has a uh, very high uh, um, 
how to say, they can pay the water price. So they can use the water very good. But for Hebei province, for Henan province, another route of the South Tulos or the Dalian Pasuk, they didn't use much water as they asked, as they required in the beginning. It's much less than the planned water quantity. It's because the water price is much higher than, lo- than the local water. So they prefer to use the local water. Don't they want to use the water from the south? It's a rational economic decision. If it's me, I also do this. But um, for the this so big project is a big problem. If low water user, it means the capacity, this infrastructure is wasted. Yes. It's very fascinating. Mm. I think, I mean, I'm... It's, it's, it seems to me there are a lot of different opinions about this. I mean, I'm, I met some officials in Sjöberg province who say that, you know what, we can actually rely on groundwater and we can we can use that. We actually don't need to use, use the south and north, but we need to solve the over-exploitation of groundwater resources. So, um, You're right. If we don't uh, have the water from the south, you continue to use more groundwater. It's also a big problem. Yes. So here, uh, not only the water from the source, also the local water, we should consider the cost and the benefit. Uh, yeah. uh, you can't uh, think uh, water is free. Uh, you use it for some low benefit production. You say, we need more water, need more water. It's not a good concern. So who 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 sets the water price for the for the south and north water version project? Is is there is there an, an engineer who calculates the water price very specifically, or you know how can you? Uh, I think it's a very integrated process. We have the calculation by uh, engineering assessment, economic assessment. Also, uh, we have the water price policy, like I said, the full water cost uh, recovery. But uh, it also have the time process. It means step by step, uh, perhaps at the beginning, half, and then 70%, and then 100%. You have a step by step process. And then we have the, how to say, local situation, you must consider if they can pay for this. If local <laughs> <laughs> people, they don't have the capacity to do it. You say, okay, we set up this place, no use. So it's also a negotiation process. Also consider the local. It should be political, realistic. So one reason why the South Water version actually can function is because there are buyers, like domestic buyers, urban users in Beijing. Yes. Uh, at the beginning, the South Tour Water Development Project is uh, planned for urban use, not for agriculture. Uh, the law, uh, agriculture, can't pay for this. <laughs> So, so what about climate change? What is the effect of climate change on the natural hydrological cycle for the northern China plain? 
climate change is a long-term concept. So for Beijing, like I said, even for 70 years, we cannot say it's really climate change. Perhaps it's more useful to consider the uh, hydrological periodic change. It means in some year it's more uh, humid, more uh, precipitation. Some year it's a drought period, uh, nice precipitation. Like uh, Beijing in the 1950s and the 60s is a rich period. And in the 1970s and 1980s is about the average level. And the 1990s and the beginning of 2000 is a relatively low precipitation period. Low in recent years, seems the, the uh, rich year come back. We have some retaining relatively more precipitation in recent years. So you think, maybe this is difficult to estimate, do you think that it will rain more in Beijing in the next 50, 50 years? Um, according to some simulation of the climate change modeling, Beijing, uh, lost China, the precipitation will increase a little. The precipitation will increase a little in last 50 years, last 100 years. But the temperature increases more. So it means the evaporation will increase more. The water balance is not beneficial. It means I need to increase our precipitation. But the more increase evaporation. So water resource will decrease. I think you have, you have said to me one time uh, that uh, throughout Chinese history, a, a warmer and humid period, there, there's a correlation between warmer and human period and a successful dynasty. Yes, you are right. In Han Dynasty, it's uh, 2,000 years ago, in Tang Dynasty, it's about uh, 1,300 years ago. Uh, it's, uh, those two dynasties are very strong. Uh, we say it's the great period of China history. At that time, the temperature is about uh, 2 to 3 degrees higher than present level. So I also, at that time, lost China more precipitation. It seems more run off, and uh, the uh, agriculture condition is much better. So, so at the time the diversity becomes so strong. They said is uh, because of the climate. Uh, if the global warming come, it seems have some benefit for China, especially for lost China. So, if you can sum up, what would you say are the lessons that can be learned from China's, from Beijing's transitions of freshwater sustainability in the last 70 years? What, what can other cities learn from these transitions, would you say? I think uh, one lesson of us is, uh, how to say, we should uh, develop our economy um, under the precondition of water resource. Uh, in the water shortage area, like Beijing, we should not uh, develop the 
uh, high voltage intensity industries like the steel industry. So I think Beijing makes some mistakes. So finally, we we constructed it first and then moved it into other places. So other, for other regions, we should learn from this process. At the beginning, we should uh, avoid to construct the water intensity industry in water storage areas. So uh, economic location planning is a very important thing. It's very good for um, avoid some water crisis. And, and, what, and how about groundwater control? What is the what is the lesson from Beijing? How how, how do you actually control groundwater? You, 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 because it's it's a hidden resource. And the groundwater control, I think, is also as a, um, at the beginning we made the mistake, and then we looking back. And we also always exploited uh, groundwater for many years. So let's take Beijing. Um, the groundwater table. Uh, going down for more than 20 meters averagedly for Beijing. Uh, when we found it's a big problem, we started to rehabilitate it. So now we can't choose groundwater exploitation very but, strictly. But how do you do that? Uh, firstly, it's water use, water demand management. Uh, you mean we should should cut our water use, like the move some factories outside is a uh, water high consumptive industry. In this place, we should not develop this. Uh, also, uh, we strictly control the water use of every family. We have the water use planning, um, how much water you can use. Also, have the water pricing system. Uh, we have the tied water price for a basic quantity, you pay little. If you use more water, you will be paying more. So the water demand management is the first uh, choice. And then we have a very strict uh, water diversion permission system. Everywhere you should get the permission. And the law will close the many, many wells for protect uh, the groundwater resource. But uh, we should also have the substitution source. It's for Beijing. We have the water from the south, so it can be substituted for the groundwater. So we have the condition to uh, shortcut groundwater use. Do you think other developing countries and and cities in developing countries, do you think they can take a shortcut and they don't have to take the hard path to water security? They can actually start with the soft path with pricing and the bond management? Or do you see that they have to be combined? Do you see what I mean? The best way is the software, is water demand management is most important. And don't depend depend on some water from outside. It's that is for the whole world. That is the solution. Okay, okay. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, this was a true privilege to have you on, Professor Yashafo. 
and uh, thank you all for listening to this podcast. Water Q&A is a joint production for Global Water Forum by the Australian National University and University of Oxford. To find out more, go to www.globalwaterforum.org. Follow us on Twitter and find us on Facebook. Just type in Global Water Forum into the search bar.